Thankful for the ministry of Pastor Caleb Adams. Would you give God a big God bless you as he comes? I love you. Thank you, Pastor Young. Praise the Lord, everybody. It is so good to be here at No Limits 2020. And what a tremendous start to this meeting we have already had with the service that we had last night what we have already experienced today. Thank you, Pastor Bradley Smith, for challenging us from the word of the Lord last night. I told him earlier, I felt such an incredible authority from the Spirit while he was preaching the word of God, challenging us to just go out there and do something. And a good, good, good word of God. And Bishop Curtis Young, I salute you, sir. Thank you for what you preached to us today. What a tremendous extension of what we heard last night. And I appreciate the wonderful and sweet spirit in which it was delivered. I want to give honor to the shepherd of this house, and the First Lady, Miles and Sheila Young, are some of the premier visionary leaders in the apostolic movement today. And it is an honor to count them, Christy and I count them as our, uh, some of our dearest friends in the world. And I want to give honor to Bishop Wilson. Uh, Sister Wilson, I love you. Thank you for who you are and all that you have contributed to all of us and for Wilson University and all the lives that it's changing. We are so extremely blessed. And thank you, Rock Church, for all of your hospitality. You people forevermore know how to show incredible hospitality to us. Please turn to page number 767 in your premier study Bible. The rest of you can go to Psalm 8. I have never struggled any more with any service I have preached in my entire ministry than I have this one. I have been in a quandary. I had about four messages, and I felt all of them, but I understood the limits of time, and, and so for, for days, it's, it's been back and forth and back and forth and a struggle. But this morning when I woke up, I, I got clarity. I got clarity. And when I pulled open some notes and the text that I'm about to read, the same anointing that came down on Brother Smith last night while he was preaching, I actually went out to the car, the rental car, to study and pray some this morning so my family could rest. And the Holy Ghost 
came down in that car so strong. I felt that same anointing, and I, I knew, I knew. And but I have, a, I have another dilemma. I'm going to be preaching on the subject of dominion, and I preached last year a message titled, The Dominion Mandate. We looked in Genesis how that God commanded man to take dominion. We talked about getting dominion over the fish, the fowl, and the cow. And I am not going to preach that message today, but I'm going to preach part two of it. I'm going to preach in the same vein, and I did have a fear that I'll be viewed as a, for those of you that don't know me, as a one-dimensional preacher. I don't preach with dominion every service, just about every other service, but not every service. But I'm going to be God's man and do what I feel strongly to do in the Holy Ghost today. Psalm 8, and I'm going to start with the superscription. If you have a Bible that's got the little italicized superscription before the first verse, I want to read this because it has bearing on the psalm. To the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm of David. To the chief musician upon Gittith. Gittith is another word for Gath. Some versions render this psalm to be played on the harp that is from Gath. A number of commentators believe that the occasion upon which Psalm 8 was written was right after David had killed Goliath and had written this psalm to celebrate his conquest over the giant. So as we read through these verses, imagine this 17-year-old red-headed shepherd standing over the prone body of a slain giant, and it'll put some meaning in the words. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. I might just be a kid, but I put this giant down. Verse 3, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. Hold that. What is missing from that verse? The sun is missing. He wrote this psalm at night after the conquest. So sometimes you got to get a vision for dominion while it's night. 
Verse 4, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Everyone say all things. Now, I know you're standing, but this stuff is so good it's going to be worth it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and read one verse in Hebrews. In Hebrews, the Apostle Paul is telling us how that Jesus is greater in every regard, and the new covenant is greater than the old. And in this particular passage in Hebrews, chapter 2 and verse 8, he quotes the psalm that we just read, but he elaborates a little bit. He said, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Everyone shout all things. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing, shout nothing, nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet, shout not yet, shout it again. Now we see not yet all things put under him. And from these readings, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about dominion potential. Dominion potential. Can you receive God's word with a hearty amen? You may be seated. So Psalm chapter 8 was likely written to celebrate David's victory over the giant. It was a tremendous conquest, a young shepherd prevailing over the big scary giant with a sling and a stone. Psalm 8 also falls into the category of psalms known as a messianic psalm. Simply put, that means that while David was writing this psalm to celebrate the occasion at hand, a prophetic anointing got on his pen. And as the words began to flow, doubtless David's mind was riveted on the dead body of Goliath, celebrating what God had done. But little did he know that prophecy was in the psalm, and through prophecy, the psalm was pointing forward in time to the greater son of David, who would come and he would also slay a giant, the giant of Satan and sin. And so this New Testament 
reference confirms that this psalm is speaking about Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus conquered Satan on the cross. He won the victory. But when we read the psalm in chapter 2 of Hebrews, we find that the victory of the cross that Jesus won is extended to the church, you and I. So when we read about the dominion of Jesus, putting all things under his feet, that promise, that potential for dominion, not only applies to Christ, but it applies to the church as well. The psalmist in his writing emphasizes the fact that when God created man, he made man special. He made man to be superior than the animal world and the plant kingdom. We are God's special creation. And of particular note is the phrase in our text today that man was made for dominion. He was created to have dominion. I personally believe that in every human being, whether they're saved or unsaved, there is what I call a dominion impulse, something in you that wants to reach and stretch and grow and better yourself. And so when Adam was created, God gave him the mandate that I talked to you about last year to take dominion. That word dominion from the Hebrew means to rule. It means to tread down or to crumble off. So the concept of dominion involves stepping in to uncharted territory. But the fact that dominion comes through a treading and it's a crumbling off also involves the idea that you don't get dominion quickly. It happens incrementally. And so had Adam not fallen in sin, I believe that he, together with his children and their children in the human race, could have expanded the borders of the garden until eventually it encompassed the entire world for the glory of God. To have dominion means that you take raw resources, and you extract potential from those resources. When a farmer goes into a field, he has seed and he has dirt. By putting seed together with the dirt, adding some sunshine and water, he begins to extract potential from those raw elements that you did not see early in the springtime. When we take dominion over our money, we take a little and we do a lot with it. We take dominion over human resources by taking people and converts when they come in the church. Many times they come in as diamonds in the rough. They come in broken 
and messed up from a life of sin, but by putting the seed of the Word in them, the water of the Spirit, the light of revelation, something begins to happen to those old rough people that hadn't done anything for God, and they began to blossom into beautiful, powerful people in the kingdom. And so God wants us to have dominion. That was the mandate given to Adam. But when Adam fell into sin, he messed things up. He did not lose the mandate, but he frustrated it. When he fell, his dominion impulse fell as well. And so now instead of getting dominion through godly methods and manners, fallen man tries to get dominion by dominating people, conquering people, and through cheating and lying and abusing authority. Those are all fallen methods in an attempt to fulfill that inner drive to have dominion. But Adam's quest for dominion was also frustrated with thorns and thistles. Now he could still gain increase from the earth, but it was not going to be easy. When he went out to work, there was briars and thorns and problems. And that's why we still have problems in our jobs today. Some of you doubtless this week have went to work and, and had the computer crash. You've lost some files. Things have broke down. Those of you that drive Fords one morning go out, try to start it, and it won't start. And, and all of these are the thorns and the thistles that uh, happen as a result of the fall. And man is frustrated. He's trying to move forward and get things done. But there's all kinds of problems because we are under the curse that comes from sin. But I've got good news for you. The Bible tells us that Jesus, when he came, he came to be the second Adam. And where the first Adam messed up, the second Adam conquered the first Adam was from the earth and he was earthy, but the second Adam was heavenly. The first Adam, he went into the garden and he gave in to the will of his flesh. But thank God for the second Adam who also walked into a garden and he denied his flesh and he conquered his flesh. The first Adam lost his victory standing beside a tree. But the second Adam won the victory hanging beside a tree. The first man, Adam, succumbed to the call of the grave. But the second man, Adam, come out of the grave. Thank God that we are here in the power of the second Adam. And I'm here to tell you, when you got the Holy Ghost, you were born again and you got a new daddy. Your first dad was the second man or the first man, but your new dad is the second man. We are children of Christ and we share 
in his victory. Clap your hands to the Lord. The Bible teaches that Jesus broke the curse of sin. He came to restore everything that was lost in the fall. I believe that. And he conferred power to his people. Now it's important that we understand that we are emissaries of the second Adam. And when we go out to do the work of God, he sends us out with conquering power. Luke chapter 10 verse 19, Jesus said, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's my verse. That's your verse. That is a dominion verse. That is a will of God verse. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, starting in Jerusalem. But then it winds out to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So it is God's will for you, your ministry, and your church to be in a continual state of growth and enlarging. It's the will of God for every apostolic church to grow. God never called any church to die. He called it to grow. I told our church last week, if we run the same number year after year, we're out of the will of God. If our church is not growing, we're out of the will of God. God never intended us to have the same 120 for the last 10 years. Well, Brother Adams, I, I just don't believe that because there's other ways to grow than numerical growth. I agree with that. But numerical growth is part of the book of Acts pattern. The apostolic pattern is to be constantly moving into new territories and enlarging the borders of our church. We can try to dumb down the Bible to fit our situation or we can stretch our situation to fit the Bible. I don't mind to tell you I want to grow. I want to increase. I want my church to increase in dominion. So here's how you get dominion. You bring things under the lordship of Jesus. The local church gets dominion as we bring souls in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We take lordship uh, and, and dominion over evil spirits by declaring the lordship of Jesus over the demonic world. I believe a church can have dominion in the spirit world, in the city where it is. 
I know that Satan is the prince of the power of the air and there's the rulers of darkness. But brother, I do not believe that the rulers of darkness in Memphis are the dominant spiritual force. I believe that God has called our church to stand up and to dominate and to push back. I'm not going to be a little uh, punching bag for spiritual opposition, but I'm going to punch back. And I'm going to punch back harder. I'm fired up about this. Now God's master plan is for the entire earth to be brought under the rule of Christ in the church. Listen now, listen carefully, in the millennial reign. There is a damnable doctrine out and about. It's called dominion theology. I am not preaching dominion theology. As apostolic people, we do not believe it. Only wackos and nut jobs believe in dominion theology. Dominion theology says the church is going to take over the world. We're going to put church people in the White House and the Congress. We're going to take over the Supreme Court. One man told me we're going to take over Hollywood. I asked him if he's going to take over the porn industry too. His theology faltered for a minute there. The idea that we're going to slowly bring about the kingdom of God through human effort in this side of eternity is not biblical. The Bible teaches that things are going to wind up and Jesus is coming. And after Jesus' second coming, he is going to inaugurate a literal, physical 1,000-year millennial reign. I do not believe that we are living in the millennial reign right now. That's not what the Bible teaches. The millennial reign is in the future, after the coming of the Lord. And in the millennial reign is the time when the entire earth will be restored to the condition that it was in before the fall in Genesis. But until then, between now and the coming of the Lord, the kingdom of God has broken in to this side of eternity. We are living in the already but not yet. The kingdom of God is here. It has come. It's coming. And it will come. And the Bible teaches that right now we experience a foretaste of what we will have in a great level during the millennial reign. We have on a micro level now what we'll have on a macro level then. And so dominion has been granted to the church, but dominion will not reach its full potential until the millennial reign. So with that being understood, let me just say this. I believe we have a lot more potential in all of our lives and in all of our churches to get a lot more dominion than what we have right now.
I believe that many of us are living beneath our potential and our potential is not ever going to be reached until we have preaching like I'm preaching right now to where we have our minds stretched and we get some revelation to understand that God's got some more that we can walk in in the next six weeks. I'd like you brothers to bring the chairs that I requested earlier. I'm going to call for Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 to be put back up on the screen for a moment. Talking about dominion potential. I tell you what, brother, let's turn this around facing the crowd. Now, this chair here represents a throne. So, the Bible said of Jesus, thou hast put all things under his feet. I like that. When I think about this, I think about sickness under my feet. If it's under my feet, I'm on top of it. If it's under my feet, it don't got me, I got it. Poverty is under my feet. False doctrine is under my feet. Mental illness under my feet. Depression under my feet. Demonic opposition under my feet. And brother, I'm looking for the day when I'll rule and reign with him. It's under my feet. It's under my feet. So, the scripture said of Christ in the church, thou hast put all things under his feet. Everyone say all. I love that sentence. That's what David said. You can just see him standing over a Goliath, lifting up that head of the giant. He just chopped it off. That old gnarly, bloody head. You can just see it. Man, it's easy to shout dominion when you in a scene like that. All things under my feet. For in that, read closely now, in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Everybody say nothing. We're talking about taking dominion over our cities for the glory of God. We're taking dominion over our families. We're taking dominion over brokenness and dysfunction. We're taking dominion over sickness and disease and poverty and chaos. Wow. I love that verse. And if you read that, those first two sentences are incredible. But I would suggest that if this verse was not in the Bible... And a student in Wilson University was writing this in a school paper, this entire verse, 
they would get docked for the sentence structure. Dr. Blashwood, this man gave me the worst grade I ever had in my whole academic career. Your paper lacks critical thought. Man, it hurts so bad I'm remembering all these years later. I got the mic today, doctor. Put everything under his feet. We sing that. Satan is under my feet. Sentence one, A plus. Sentence two, A plus. But now, we see not yet all things put under him. Wait a minute. You just said that all things were in subjection under his feet. And you just said he left nothing out. But now in one paragraph, you add a third sentence that is out of sync and out of harmony with what you just stated. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So sentence one and two has got me on the throne with Jesus. In a posture of dominion, ruling and reigning in victory. But sentence number three reduced me down to a dinky little kitty chair. That's a reject from the Sunday school department. God wants my church there, but this is where it really is. That's the church we post on Instagram, but this is the real church that don't get posted about. This is what I could be. This is what I am. This is what I'm called to be. But this is what I is. But you see this gap between where I am and where I could be? This gap is called potential. And I'm glad this verse is in the Bible. That third sentence, I understand it because I live in the not yet. I live in the wishing I could. I live in the anticipating. But those first two verses, lines, let me know there is potential for me to be more. There is potential for an increase of dominion in my personal life and in the church. I'm going to tell you, sit down for a minute. Come, I'm just sitting here too. So. The older I get, the better I like sitting at church. You know, they all got the Holy Ghost when they were sitting. I 
Don't know what that means, but it means something. Can I just address a, a reality? There's a whole bunch of us that have become okay with this. And we have either never seen that in our spirit, or if we've been given a glimpse of it, we shut it down because that makes this look bad. And because we don't want to look bad, we want to shut off anybody that'll talk about this. And we don't want to go to any meetings that talks about that. We don't want to get around anybody that talks about that. And we don't want our kids to go to Hope Corps because Hope Corps talks about that. And we don't want anybody in the university because the university is going to talk about that. Instead, we want to surround ourselves with a bunch of little minions that are okay with this. Babe, you're going to have to help me. I'm losing my filter quick. So we're down in the mully grubs. We're such a small taste of what we could be. We're called for dominion. We were made for it, but not yet. So some of us aren't even on the chair the dinky chair, we were like, <laughs> don't nobody want to really live for God nowadays. Church across town proselyting all our people. Oh, it's a tough day. We can't take a loan, build that new building in this economy. Oh, no, sir. I'm going to pray for a miracle. We can't step out and take any risks because it's bad. And I know God could help people in the past, but he can't help risk takers now. So we're just going to just sit here and we're going to wait. No, it's bad. It's bad. I don't know what the problem is. I wish it was like it used to be. I wish we had old time Pentecost come back. Struggling. Struggling. Don't hardly have enough to pay my bills. Then I go to church and all they talk about is money. Money, 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 money. Offering time, blessing time. Offering time, blessing time. I ain't never seen none of them blessings. And blessings are just something they use to manipulate me to give more offering. And I've given the offering and never got the blessing. It's tough. Well, we prayed them through, but I don't know if they're going to stick. They're probably not. Am I preaching to us? We got more empty seats than we have filled seats in some of our churches. It's been a long time since anybody got the Holy Ghost. Struggling to get a message every Sunday. Can't get a prayer meeting going. Can't get people out to church on midweek. We're dying and we're shriveling. I'm here to tell you this is not the will of God. If we're living here, this is not where we're supposed to be. If our church is not growing, that's not where it's supposed to be. If we're not having revival, that's not how it's supposed to be. I was made to sit on that chair and have dominion. But now, 
I see not yet. Sit down. Please. Can't see the back row people. So here I be. And that's where I want to go. And I've come to no limits and I get a glimpse of this dominion stuff. And something stirs in my spirit because I feel something. I'm going to tell you what I've learned about preaching about this. It touches a chord. It touches that primal impulse that God put in every man since Adam. And I feel the frustration. Psychologists would call it relative deprivation. The, the difference between what I could be and what others can have but where I am at. So if I'm going to have dominion, I've got to get from here to there. But getting from here to there is a big journey from where I am right now. So if I am going to take dominion and move into my potential, what do I need to do right now? Give me some suggestions. Smart people here. First thing I've got to do in a quest for dominion is I've got to take a stand. Peter stood up with the 11. I was a failure a few days ago. I was a Jesus denier. I was a cusser. I was a backslider. I didn't have one bit of dominion. But now I'm going to stand up. First thing you got to do if you're going to get dominion is you've got to take a stand and you got to open your mouth and you got to start speaking where you're going to go in the Holy Ghost. And enough just to stand. You got to be talking while you're standing. There's got to be something because your word has got to go there before you get there. God does no good thing, but what He doesn't discover it to the prophets first, because the prophet's words reaches out and it touches the reality before you physically touch the reality. We've got to speak it. I'm getting off these addictions, and I'm never going back. I'm coming out of poverty and I'm never going back. My Bible studies are going to be fruitful. New doors are going to open. Our church is going to grow. Let me go on record in no limits and say, I plan to pastor a thousand people in the next few years. In my city. So, dominion potential. First thing, I've got to take a stand and be decisive 
about where God wants me to go. And the pastor speak, that, that's growth, revival, health. Things are good and they're getting better. That's not Norman Vincent Peale stuff. This is apostolic stuff. This is looking at people that don't have the Holy Ghost and saying, receive you the Holy Ghost. We'll close that gap. But help me now. I took a stand. I've identified where I need to go, but I'm still a long way. How do I step in to this potential? What do I do next? Help me. I heard somebody say, I've got to take a step. The word dominion, first of all, means to tread. Then it means to crumble off. So this means I've got to take a step. So I step out. And I have acted in alignment with God-given vision. Now, I am not noticeably closer to the goal after that step. But I have put a little distance between what was. I'm learning something in recent years. I'm learning a kingdom principle that I call the principle of alignment. And that's where you find what God wants you to do. And when you start putting even small actions towards a God-given goal, some kind of supernatural something gets unleashed. A couple of years ago, a good man in our church at home, Brother James Baudry, he, uh, he, he first came to us a few years ago and just got out of prison and, and uh, wasn't a preacher. Got out of prison and started coming. Well, we've had lots of people come out of prison. And, you know, so I'm glad you're here and hope you stay, but you know, you know, a lot of times people don't make it, but he kept coming and uh, started teaching Bible studies. Then uh, he said, you know, nothing against any of these church Bible studies. He said, they're not really working too good for me. He said, can I write my own? And uh, I thought, well, go for it. Inside, I thought, I don't know if I ever see it, but. Well, you know what? He wrote one. Charts and all. Got it printed. Started teaching it. Started winning people to God. He took a step. And he come to me a couple years back and he said, uh, you know, I come out of a life of drugs and addiction. He said, I'd like to help 
people and he said, I just got a burden for it. He said, what would you think about me trying to find a rehab center somewhere and see if they'll let me teach a Bible study? I said, yeah, go for it. So he went in our community. There's a facility there. It's known as uh, Safe Harbor. And it's a place that houses uh, between 80 and 90 men that have come out of either addictions or prison or trying to get on their feet. And it's faith-based, but the people that ran it was more business-minded and they didn't have a lot of people doing the Bible stuff. So James goes and he says, uh, um, could I come and attend one of your Friday night Bible studies? They said, sure. He told him his story. They said, well, would you be willing to share your testimony to the men? So he did. He went on a Friday night, told his testimony. He said, man, when I was telling my testimony, you could feel the presence of God come down. Now, this was a man when he came in the church, he had just got out of prison, not much work, credit score below zero. And within just a year or two, perfect credit. And God, not just miracles. And, but now what he has done, he's taken one step, and he went, cold called a local facility, was not invited. He went and just said, hey, can I show up? Can I testify? And he did. They said, would you, um, this was good. They said, would you be willing to come back once a month and share your testimony again? He said, yep. And they said, uh, well, this is good. Uh, they said, we need somebody to teach on anger management. Uh, can you guys help with that? Well, we got people with experience in our church. And <laughs> he said, yep. So we had somebody learn about anger management. We got them on get them. So now we had two slots. And then they come and they said, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are single dads and their homes are busted up. Do you have anybody to teach about fatherhood? He said, yep. And so we got men in our church going there and talking about fatherhood. They said, a lot of our guys don't know how to work. Do you have people who can just teach life principles of work ethic? Yep. So that's number four slot that week. And then we got into a deal. He, James also said, man, there's this program out there called Celebrate Recovery. How many of y'all have heard of that? And uh, he told me about it. I thought, yeah, go for it. So I'm a real supportive pastor. And uh, so we get certified for Celebrate Recovery. And they said, can you come here and teach Celebrate Recovery? I said, yep. So five slots. And since No Limits, last year, out of this one facility, 
19 men have gotten the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name. Out of this one. You know why some of us aren't having revival? We aren't willing to do the cold call. We just want to lay and pray about it, but not act about it. And so, he comes to me sometime middle last year. He said, you know, I feel like turning this over to another brother in the church and going, finding another place and see what I can do. I said, okay, let's do it. He goes to another place called the Hope House. He says, can I attend one of your Bible studies? I said, yep. I said, will you testify? He said, yep. He testifies. He said, can you come back? He said, yep. And he said, uh, can we start bringing you guys on Sunday night? He said, sure. And so we have the first Sunday night, we had a whole van load of guys come, and five of them got the Holy Ghost in one service. <laughs> Took another step. Then we started Celebrate Recovery at our church on Thursday night, and we have 35 to 40 sinners coming. And the last two Thursday nights, we've had, a, we've had men get the Holy Ghost and get baptized in a drug rehab class on an off night. Then we've got vans going to the inner city. We had children get the Holy Ghost before I preached Sunday morning. I'm going to tell you, any one service, I'm not there yet. I'm not where I need to be. It's been one little step at a time. It's grueling. Any given week, I don't feel like we're making much progress. But when I look back, we're not on that little chair anymore. We don't have a dry baptistry anymore. Our altars are not sterile anymore. No, I'm not all the way there. But brother, we're stepping forward. Forward in our dominion potential. If God has called your church to be in your city, there's potential. There's room to grow. There's room to increase. Oh, let's all stand and clap our hands to the Lord. You talk about blessings, spiritual and financial. Something happens when the church starts going. Blessings start flowing. As long as you are immobile. I'm going to tell you, if you're griping about another church that's doing more than yours, you'll never be blessed. If you've got a problem with big churches, you'll never, never really have much. God don't bless that. That's the language of death. That's the culture of death. But there's something about it. When you start with however small you are, you rivet on that throne. And whatever tenuous, feeble, laughable footstep you can take, start praying that way, start cold calling. Just do something. Get around other people that's doing something. 
Get around people that challenge you. People that make you feel small by virtue of their accomplishments. Step over your insecurities. Quit worrying about being rejected. There's something about that. I'll tell you, up there above you, there's an invisible hand on the faucet knob. And the more you start doing this, that hand starts turning the faucet. And I'm going to tell you what happens. There will be an increase of spiritual authority in your ministry when you start acting. There's something about the cold calling that brings authority. There is financial prosperity for people that start moving in alignment with his mission. Let's lift our hands for just a minute. Come on, reach. Stretch your fingertips, huh? Reach. Reach. There's about to be a notable confirmation in the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, lift your fingers high. Reach, 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 reach. Lift your voice. Reach, reach. I want to go there, God. I want to go there. I want to go there. Oh, stand it up. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. There's a release of holy authority right now. Come on. Let it get on you. Let it get on you. Play with authority. Play with authority. Play over your ministry with authority. Play over your church with authority right now. Here it comes! Here it comes!
anything to what he's already said, but I, I just feel like saying this right now in the Holy Ghost. Brother, uh, young, could you could you get me Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20? I've said this here at the Rock. Is this all right, Pastor Young? Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, verily I say unto you, if you have faith as of the grain of mustard seed, he could say unto this mountain, be thou removed. It's got to get out of the way. But here's the thing. The, the third law of hermeneutics is context. So to put that scripture in context, give me Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1. Here's the thing. A lot of people don't like dominion preaching. And the reason they don't like dominion preaching is they don't understand dominion preaching. We get mad when we start talking to the mountain and the mountain don't move. But the Bible says in Matthew 17 and 1 that Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringing them into a high mountain apart. Before Jesus ever learned to told them to speak to the mountain, he told them, you got to learn how to climb the mountain. Don't get mad if you're not doing any walking, if you're not doing something, brother. If you're not walking and moving and climbing the mountain, if you're speaking to the mountain and nothing's happening. I'm telling you what I feel right now in the Holy Ghost. There's some people around this altar. You've been speaking to the mountain and getting frustrated because nothing's happening, nothing's moving, nothing's changing. But the Holy Ghost is bringing an awakening to you right now. It's time to get up and move, 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 move past the depression. Move past the empty pews. Move past all hell holding you back. Move, move, move. Now let me tell you something. What we're going to do right now, Brother Young, you asked me to get up here. This is just what I feel in the Holy Ghost. Before they sing again, before anybody shouts, I don't want you to grab anybody by the hand because when you go back home to that hell hole, ain't nobody from No Limits going to be with you. I don't want you to dance to the music because you're not going to have that band when you get home. What I want you to do right now in the Holy Ghost is start walking in dominion and the kind of victory you want at home, you start shouting about it right here at No Limits. The kind of dominion 
in you and you want it home, start dancing about it right now. Come on, is that what you want? You want a little miracle? Then you give him a little praise. But baby, if you want something that's going to shake hell's foundation, you got to move. You got to move. Walk in it. Talk in it. Believe in it. Step out. Go, 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 go. home missionary start moving come on young evangelist start moving come on pastor that took that burn over field start moving start moving start moving don't you wait till dominion comes thank you pastor adams somebody's got to get up and move It's already happened. Dance like it's already happened. Praise him like it's already happened. Praise him like revival's already in your house. Praise him like that soul you've been praying for just started talking in tongues. Praise him because those empty pews are on their way to being filled. Praise him because you're walking into dominion.
to tell them one thing you're going home to do right now. Tell them one thing, one step you're going to take. Something, it may be praying five more minutes. It may be knocking on one more door. I want you to turn to somebody and say, when I get home, I'm going to do this. Pastors, what's God telling you? What's God speaking to you? What do you say? We set the back.